0: Good afternoon, it is May 2nd, 2011, and this is episode 7B of the Bad Dog Book Club. I'm Skip Rudder-Taylor, otter editor, and with me, as always, is...
1: Yeah, Toons is the
0: crosswalking cat. The cat that
1: not get run over in a crosswalk. And <laughs> you'd be a two-dimensional cat. Yeah, by somebody trying to get 30 feet down the road to stop at a red light. Mm-hmm. God damn it.
0: <laughs> it's gonna happen. <laughs> I hope not. Mm,
1: well, blame, talk to the drivers. I've mean, been all all right, I can do right. about
0: it. I'm just following the law. Hopefully it's not me that hits you, that's all. Um, so, we had a, you know, we had, last week's episode was uh, a little bit of a first for us in a couple ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was We had a wonderful
1: guest on, Jay, I hope you all
0: enjoyed him. Well, I meant, that, that was two weeks ago. So oh, So I meant last week's episode. Oh, yes. You mean the reading, you mean? The reading. Oh, yeah, of course. Because not only did we feature two stories for the first time ever, mm-hmm. but you had to put up with each of our perhaps terrible voices reading them. <laughs> So, so oh, yeah, thanks so, for indulging so us, everybody. Two and did a great job yeah. having edited it. I, I gotta say, we were very easy to edit. Yeah, you you sounded it good to me.
1: Wonderful. I think you did a great job too. Well, I don't know. we should give ourselves pats on the back.
0: Oh, there you go, there you go. Nobody else swells, so we've got to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now that we've lost the last three listeners, we had, you know. move on with a clean slate. But
1: I mean, I just had, I had fun reading the story itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't care if you enjoyed my voice, but. Cedric has been one of my, uh, my favorite writers for a while, just because I really like the style he writes in. It's something that I could never, ever, ever imagine myself being able to reproduce. Mm-hmm. And I imagine it, for some artists sometimes, like artists who might be very you know, confident with their own style and their sense of direction artistically, who might see another artist uh, just have the technical skills they don't have, and maybe have mm-hmm. some kind of envy. And I feel that way sometimes when I'm reading Cedric's work and is almost, like, flawless use of of grammar and vocabulary and things Uh like that I I don't know it just knocks me over sometimes that's why I wanted to to, to feature that I think this was the first story that he produced that I think didn't involve uh, (laughs) what am I trying to think of (laughs) I'm trying to think of a a playful way of saying this but he finally wrote a story that I think was suitable for the ears of our listeners Oh, and not, uh, not better off being shuffled off to the side of a dark corner of an alley, as those, you know, stories are sometimes better This is your way of saying yeah. this. Well, I'm sure Cedric's smiling right now hearing this, mm-hmm. I and mean, it's kind of the point sometimes. You want to create your own space, the best way to do that is to scare people off and uh-huh. find a place to, uh, you know, become a recluse. In. But I, I, I like that this story, it has these public aspects to it, mm-hmm. and it also has these kind of self-conscious meta-narr- metanarrative uh, aspects to it where the two characters are the author himself. Mm-hmm. He has this kind of... Uh, his persona character, which I'm sure a lot of us have, and we think of as representing ourselves or a part of ourselves, so you can identify with that very easily. But then he also has his writer persona that I think comes in to represent what he sees as his artistic ideals and visions and uh, maybe some of his desires and these other things he tries to articulate through writing, and they have this conflict within the, within the story. And I just think I, reading it from the perspective... Of a writer, it's just an interesting thing to see an interesting frame to to put it in hmm. and i ho- would hope others would appreciate it. you know readers or writers alike,
0: yeah, I thought it was really neat, so I mean, author was the the horny one, the pusher right yeah, yes. yeah. so what do you I mean what do you think that says that you know the author, Cedric mm-hmm. is the one who's you know, saying you know, suck my dick. You know, like we're gonna get you yeah. off right here in the middle of this bookstore. And Cedric and himself, non-author is a bit more... Cedric. Well, is that Cedric himself? Non-author I think it is supposed Cedric. to be the idea. I think it is supposed to represent uh is Cedric and sitting going, You're crazy. You're crazy. And then you know, does it of course anyway?
1: But yeah, because it's a fantasy. He can. Yeah, and I think it's like I say, it's self conscious and it's. Uh, it recognizes the fact that these things are more or less impossible unless you are interested in spending significant jail time. <laughs> you know, anytime soon. So as, as you might be sitting a, a around daydreaming about how hard it might be to, you know, get it down, uh, get it, uh, get down on the in the stacks in the library or at the bookstore, or at the cafe or whatever like that. But for obvious reasons, you don't do it. But I mean, inside your head, no one's gonna stop you.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, so, so is this masturbation? Them.
1: This is, oh my goodness, this is 10 levels of masturbation. <laughs> this is, I mean, okay, uh, I'm sure Cedric won't blush to, to hear this, but the, yes. mu, the the humiliation kink guy that he is, but, I mean, when when he's writing something like this, it is more or less just a foreplay act for cranking it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of appreciate that fact, I mean, it was never like that for me, but I kind of appreciate that fact, just because it's about as pure and honest, I think, as you can get in writing. Because people, like, sometimes say dismissively about writing, is it such, it's such a masturbatory act, It's so wait, okay. Yeah, sure.
0: Not that there's anything we can wrong run with that. that
1: yeah. No, no, we can we can we can run with that. If you're gonna say it's a masturbatory, self-ser- masturbatory self-serving act, then you know mm-hmm. I'll self-service myself and masturbate while I'm writing. It's just kind of a, a very um, honest, almost self-effacing way of approaching mm-hmm. it. It's uh, fun.
0: So, and I guess my question is, you know, so is this is this what he would like to do to himself, or is this you know kind of part of you know, wishing how he how he was or something. I mean, is there some of that in here as It's well? not a
1: transformation story. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a, talking about what but a person a different necessarily facet of wants his personality,
0: to be. Mm-hmm. You know, which, and we have talked about performativity before, so I think we can relate it to that, you know, that they're, they're both parts of, of who Cedric is, or a okay. protagonist. Yeah. Well, I, we probably got, okay, We to add the third figure to this. We have Cedric author, Cedric non-author, and then we have Cedric who's the actual author. Yes. Who we don't directly see in this story, but will be a different person than Cedric author in this story. Even. And we're totally
1: breaking the rules of separating the author from the work. We are, way.
0: we are. So that's why I wanted to remind us of that. All the modernists moment, can be 18-dicks, by the way. Yeah. So that's why I wanted to refresh this. So as as we are talking about Cedric author here, but it isn't Cedric, the author. It's
1: Cedric, and then Cedric as author, and then Cedric the author that wrote the story. I don't know, it's... It
0: becomes a bit like a Russian nesting doll at some point. Somewhere there's a cat in a box that's simultaneously alive and dead as well. (laughs) And with Cedric inside, some type of Cedric. Yeah. Cedric as cat in box. There are a couple things I noticed. Um, I think the first is the title. And, you know, I read it, and I haven't... What what is the title? The because Ch- I did Chchester not Gap. yes, Chichester Gap because okay. I was like, well it sounds delightfully British and they are wearing mm. raincoats and so the setting is it's very like British and stuff. But yes, what is The Chichester, Chichester Gap. Gap? Yes.
1: Okay Cedric explained this to me when uh, he submitted the story. I don't remember all of the most specific explanations. You and I actually looked this up. We tried to find yes. it was on Urban yes, Dictionary we did. or something like that. Yes, we did. We couldn't find the specific definition. So as far as as we know, Cedric is coining this. Okay. Or at least trying to push it that and, and much further toward we're the We're going to do our part
0: to spread it, but tell us mm-hmm. what it is. So the, the
1: Chichester Gap is the balance of space between the lips and the dick. Yes. Your own. Yes. Whatever you just can't quite come a, a, get across, whatever that last little push you just cannot make is your is your Chichester your
0: gap. gap, which is very clever, you know, with what the subject of the story is. Then, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I definitely approve of the title. But if if it is, I mean, let us know if it is an expression you've heard before. Let us know because we've never run into it. and We can't find it on Google, which so obviously it doesn't exist, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um. So it, it's either you know maybe it, it's it's it hasn't broken yet, but we'll help break it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but
1: I uh, it's a good image for the story because there's a gap between the two characters who are essentially the same person. The Cedric, uh, the dragon in the story, the non-author, is a very respectable person, in a way not the kind of person that just looking upon him you would expect has these fantasies until they're brought out upon by the author character. And I think that's how it is in in, in real life, is you just see a very respectful, uh, almost benign Unintriguing person, if you were to see this author in the street, Mm -hmm. and then you have uh, what they want to be But even when you separate it from the dirty aspects, what the Cedric um, what the Cedric character represents is A sort of meekness, a sort of passiveness, a sort of uh, Obvious insecurity, the character himself is is Very uh, unsure of himself, and When you look at it in a more cynical way, even very able to be led along by a more mm-hmm. dominant character. If you want to even accept that as kind of a a, a negative character type, even want mm-hmm. to just, you know, read a more cynical interpretation of this. And then there is the author character that is very outgoing, very persuasive, very confident. What you might expect, you kind of get the impression that it's the, the gap here is between what the author sees himself as and what the author kind of wishes he was. And then right. this, the larger scene, like the, the humiliation, the public aspect, the cocksuck, and that's all kind of the window, window dressing that kind of, Mm-hmm. gets dressed up in this uh examination of this gap. Mm-hmm. That's what I like about the title. Is it kind yes. of a sly reference to uh, what Works you can't quite what you can't quite come across what yes. you can't quite make out.
0: So yes, and so the goal is I think let let's say you know this gap um that you know, I, I'd say positive numbers would be bad, and negative numbers would be good. Don't yes. Don't you think? Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. So that's, that's also informative as you're spreading Hopefully the term. negative integers? Yes, negative integers. That'd be so, the best. Yes. So, like, if you have a Chichester gap of negative six... What's your Chichester that's gap? That's very impressive. Oh, mine's like... Well, I don't know. This is very personal. You know how, um, we can edit
1: it out later on, but at least yeah. for on the record. Okay, if you're hearing this now... Skip.
0: Mine's like Gained negative. a little bit of confidence. Mine's like, I don't know, negative 0. 0.5. Negative 0. 0.5. On a good day. Mine's like plus two and a half or something like that. Oh, I got yeah. no flexibility. But see, the, fa- the point, the interesting thing is we both know. We both okay. know. We both know. Yep. That's I'm sure important. a lot of people
1: know. So. <laughs> it was just part of my training for this job. When I found out i would been doing this podcast, I kind of thought I need, to, I need to get into shape for this. I need to at least try to suck my dick at least once. Oh no, that's because that it, it might because it might come up. It, it could might, very well come you up. Yep. Yeah, okay. Yep. Plus two and a half. I five
0: wrote it down somewhere. I'm
1: glad to finally
0: have it done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. It, well, it, this, this story did have my favorite line of the week too. Oh, what's uh, that? Which was because you're a submissive bitch with a small penis. Mm-hmm. And I guess it, it's very it Caught me. You, you gave it a great read. Better than I did just now. Mm. Um, But it really kind of caught me off guard, and it was so brutal and so rude. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the word for it. Just so rude. I think that's what writers
1: forget sometimes, is that playfulness and cleverness isn't mm -hmm. always the best way to go. Sometimes you really just need to be very direct and very curt. Yeah, yeah. That'll have the most striking effect. And I something. found it
0: very, you know, effective, but it really like caught me off guard when I was like editing the podcast and there you just blurred out with us. And I was like, Whoa, that's so rude. <laughs> I think so people I really are used enjoyed to it. it to me. Yeah, yeah. I think
1: people are used to telling me that, okay. don't you think?
0: Yes. I do actually. Um but you know it was it was good because it it came out of nowhere and it you know kind of established the characters and it was something that they then played with too and, yes. and made this a source of sexual satisfaction and power and this is, you know taking this rude comment and turning it that way so mm-hmm. I approved. Um,
1: that's what it's all about, ultimately, mm-hmm. is taking these things that you're a little bit insecure about, a little bit unsure about, and not, not just like pulp specifically, but writing in general, and becoming comfortable in them or making them strengths or, you know, however you, however you want to see that specific mm-hmm. construct. It's what a lot of people want to accomplish, and I think Cedric's probably done a pretty good job here. It's a pretty good story.
0: Yeah. Yes. No, I, I enjoyed it. So a good choice there good pick for a oh, short short story so yes if you've got I'm glad Cedric short short stories you know we can fit them into don't feel like oh it has to take half an hour to read you know we'll find a way i
1: prefer short fiction
0: yeah
1: and you and i actually kind of get into arguments over this and i feel it might just be because uh my first big writer that i got into was mm-hmm. franz kafka and he mm-hmm. has a lot especially in his uh, complete yep. stories selection yep. he has like a lot of these little fragments mm-hmm. and i loved reading those and going through them and just seeing like an idea expressed in only a paragraph or two or, no, you know, 200, 300 words, whatever. I think sometimes it's even a much more efficient way uh-huh. of creating a very striking, specific image. Yeah. And I think people put too much credit on longer stories. I always get annoyed when people ask me, like, hey, tinses, um, what should I do about commissions? Like, I want to take commissions. Like, should I uh, charge people for longer stories? Should I, like, do by words? And I, I don't know. I don't get it. Like, why would you charge more for a longer story? It's just...
0: I don't like that too, and honestly, that's something I want to change going forward in Fang because I don't think that necessarily equates that a longer story is a better story, or a longer story is necessarily more work than a short story is. So I'd like, or at least some kind of hybrid model that everybody gets a base amount, and then maybe there's an additional, you know, on that if you're over a certain word count. But I don't. I'm, I'm. I'd like to honestly get away. Um, for fame purposes, from a simple pay-by-word model, because I don't think that's necessarily fair. And you
1: don't think... Don't you think that a lot of stories are artificially inflated for length? When you just
0: think about oh, the you venues... Know, a lot of Dickens, yeah. honestly, who I love. But, because I mean, these stories were originally they, published serially, right? tell, Yes, that the man is being paid by the word. When you spend two paragraphs on... The color of someone's vest and what it reminded David Copperfield of—you can tell the man was being paid by the word. It's very obvious. And I remember just being like, "Oh my God, I'm going to die in in (laughs) high school." (laughs) And I love Dickens now, but yeah, some of them could use some condensing. I wish people would.
1: I really do wish people would start condensing their stories a little bit, Mm -hmm. especially as we get toward uh, mediums of publishing that Mm -hmm. don't have to you know rely on length they don't have to be a certain length shortness or uh length yeah it doesn't
0: matter it doesn't matter on you know the internet on a web page how long your story
1: is just have to scroll down that's all
0: yep um no so that was good choices and i was glad we were able to feature a couple longer and the only reason i wanted to pair it with something because i know you know people who are doing commutes or whatever kind of expect the podcast to take up a certain but amount of time so do you really that's why think people driving their care. cars
1: do you think people driving their cars should be listening to pulp yes it's not to be
0: distracting. i do i do oh my goodness that's <laughs> it's like that family guy episode though <laughs>
1: what you what ever no, that no, family see guy
0: it. where peter is writing his peterotica and there's London. it was like the what was it the Half Italian girl, or maybe some kind of Spanish, as read by Betty White. <laughs> She's sitting here, and the guy gets in an accident because he's like, "Oh yeah, that's hot," and like <laughs> unzips and stuff, and starts whacking, it and no, then gets it, in an exactly accident. That's going to happen.
1: You just said you yeah. said you weren't going to run me over. You're going to be distracted by porn. I'm reading. You'll know, kill me in the crosswalk.
0: Yes. Oh well. tragic. So, no, it was good, and I and you know I like the uh, little joke at the end too.
1: Oh, uh, but you you said.
0: Atlas Shrugged. What did you
1: say about Atlas Shrugged earlier? I mean, see, my my boyfriend likes Atlas Shrugged. I have to actually deal with that.
0: We need to, you know, send in help for Toonsas, who is Mm. living in a very scary living situation Mm. right now with somebody who likes Atlas Shrugged.
1: Two log cabin Republicans. Two of
0: them. yeah. Um, but no, I, I thought that was a nice little joke. So, and, and right as the movie came out, we did not. You know, that wasn't intentional. I'm sure it tanked. To yes, the movie. it did. Yeah, oh. and the the producer said he's not going to do any others because the critics were so mean to him. <laughs> Poor Muffin It's like, oh, but aren't you? You know, who cares what the critics think? You're a capitalist. Go out there and make those movies. <laughs> All
1: right. Because they just couldn't make money.
0: Yes, yes. Thank you. Shh. not, not that that would ever happen. Um, yeah, I guess basically the first day was good, and and all the die hard Rand people went and see it, and then they all saw it, and nobody else wanted to see it.
1: Makes sense. I mean, that's and a, so it opened like twice as many early. screens
0: the next weekend, and had half as many people come.
1: That's you know.
0: crazy. Uh, anyway, moving on. So, uh, so our other parrot story mm-hmm. um, was vignettes from the highway by like and he submitted this one, and I I, I chose to run with it. Um, and an match image it up. dense story, an image dense story, yes.
1: almost surrealistic in the way. Exactly. No, I agree.
0: In. I think so. I think it's it's very um, surrealistic, metaphorical. But I I thought that was kind of neat because we've been. We're both sci-fi fans, as we've mentioned mm-hmm. on the show before. And especially the last several episodes have been you know, sci-fi episodes. Last yes. episode, um, All Flores Story was you know, very kind of traditional 50s you know, hard sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, even on a spaceship in hyperspace, you, know, you can't get more hard sci-fi than that. So here we haven't done a lot of fantasy, which and honestly dealing with, I think, furry writing, you're going to see you know, a good amount of sci-fi and fantasy. Um, So we haven't done a lot of fantasy yet. So we had kind of one story with a fantasy element or this kind of other, you know, persona. Mm -hmm. Um, And this story is probably a little more traditional fantasy. Um, Not in the sense that it's, you know, dragons and swords, but it is this kind of surreal, abstract... You know, perhaps magical or otherworldly setting or other plane of existence.
1: I've never quite put that under the umbrella of fantasy, though. Mm-hmm. It seems to me the kind of thing you'd do if you were a bookstore manager and had to put something somewhere. Uh-huh. But when I read a story like this, I just think it's on its own little uh, plane of reasoning and and time, not quite like fantasy is, or hmm. or sci-fi. I'm, uh-huh. We 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 talk about whenever we have the, the sci-fi stories on here, just the pains. Uh, writers often go through to make this scientific world seem very relatable, almost even uh, mundane or trivial sometimes, right. if they really want to get things grounded. But, you have the opposite effect here with this story, where the images are kept very intentionally uh, formless.
0: Mm-hmm. And it
1: doesn't really describe a, much of a, of a logical day. Right. Uh, sometimes people can be very critical of that, because they feel as if writing only only these images, writing only these kind of loosely put together abstract uh, abstractions it's like putting together a bunch of sweets mm-hmm. you know what i mean there's no, no real substance there would you? would you would you uh do you, th- do you think the story falls prey to that
0: i don't think so um i think there's you know it's it's kind of in the same way i mean it it actually says in the title but in the same way the chichester gap is it's kind of a a vignette or a moment. Chichester Gap's a very short, specific moment, which is one of the things I liked about it. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of this is this is a longer moment. You know, this is, I guess, probably over the course of maybe twelve hours or so or sixteen hours. But it's, you know, a moment in the life of this character that says something about who this character is and mm-hmm. what they do. Yes. Um and that's, you know, all it needs to say, I think, in this case. Um, so no, I, I I think it does you know kind of it does exist for a reason, um, and it kind of takes us into the world of Yugo, our protagonist, who's this you know odd, intriguing fellow, and and I like it because there are all these little kind of hints and just enough I feel is revealed in the story, which is one of the things I liked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a very fine line you have to do in these kind of weird stories, and this is another. I mean. Like last week's story, you know, this is another one I think that could be, you know, it's sort of in that Twilight Zone-ish, you know, idea where, you know, we're we're in this alternate reality, but just enough. It raises a lot of questions and answers them just enough for me. Um, I read fantasy and sci-fi stories that are too surreal. I feel like sometimes mm-hmm. where they kind of leave me feeling frustrated because everything is so disjointed either contextually or temporarily, mm-hmm. um, you know where I have a hard time following it, and it kind of leaves me frustrated and almost angry you mm-hmm. know or it's so there was one in asimov's i don't know if you've gotten to it yet where the story actually physically on the page is laid out with all these little blocks with other ideas you know kind of interspersed throughout and it really drew I found it distracting distracting and, and I guess that's the line that I feel um, by stays on the right side of in this case, where the oddness of the setting and story doesn't become distracting from the story itself. It enhances, but it doesn't get in the way.
1: That's true. What I, what I mm-hmm. tend to like about uh, when stories are drawn to abstractions like this is that it allows a certain undefined space that you can wriggle into. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier to personalize these things and think of yourself in them if they're not being so specifically defined mm-hmm. as being other. Uh, maybe if, if the story were to have a more concrete storyline, a firmer direction to go in, it might alienate uh, a bunch of the of the readers mm-hmm. who might find themselves not identifying with the character quite as well. Right. It's a hard thing to do though because just as easily as you can allow people the space to identify with the character, you might also just leave the characters kind of hollow.
0: Yeah, you can leave the... Right, you can leave the characters under Find. you can leave the author... You can leave the reader a way to get lost, too, I suppose, no. in the story. You know, or disconnected from it.
1: So you have to create a, an intriguing bit of conflict or just some interesting uh, catch for someone to latch on to. Okay. I think there's a... Just the... The 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 problem that Hugo describes, it's easy to immediately identify with his problem and understand this uh, symbolism he has to get over. So...
0: And, and there's, there's Matthew, who, who I like, though we don't see much of him. But, I mean, it, the metaphor, I guess the thing that, eri- that strongly came to mind as I was reading this story was Greek and Roman mythology and the figure of Sharon, the boatman. Mm-hmm. That's C-H-A-R-O-N. Um, nobody ever, that's always a hard one to pronounce, but I think it's Sharon, uh, Sharon, instead of Charon, yeah, Charin. a lot of people say Charon, but we're Americans and we can't talk. So. <laughs> um, but yes, the boatman in Greek mythology who would ferry the dead across, the newly dead across the river Styx into the underworld, you know, where so, they'd spend the rest of eternity. Um, but they had to get across this river before they could, you know, pass on fully.
1: So, do you think uh, trying to get over this wall represents suicide?
0: I No, no, I think Matthew's already dead. You think he's already dead? Yeah, I think Matthew's dead. I think he's been dead probably for a long time.
1: So in this case, so then... Uh...
0: So their side of the highway, you know, the side that the story takes place on, I kind of read as something like purgatory, where these are... Or not even purgatory, some just kind of uh, netherworld where they're not... Where they are dead, but they haven't moved on to the next plane of existence... I see. Whatever that is. And because they can't, for whatever reason. And you think that's the side of the wall And in wall Matthew's that the case, it's maybe because he's a little kid, you know, and isn't its is scared, you know, as we know. And, and you know, it, he doesn't know what's going on. And so that's the side they're on. And if he's going to, you know, pass on to heaven or whatever the next plane of existence is, mm-hmm. he needs to cross the highway, the River Styx. I see. And get to what's over there. And I thought, this, like, he could feel his family who'd already crossed over, uh, in my reading of mm-hmm. it, you know, on the other side, but they had to find the right place along the highway. That right. It, it, there, and they were just kind of... he. Was, Matthew was drawn to it, you know, and said, here's the right place, this is where I need to go. Um,
1: so I'd gotten a similar impression, although mm-hmm. I had felt that the other side, over the over the wall, would be something more like Purgatory, because the impression is that when... When Matthew gets over the wall, there's a, the impression that he has to go on some journey to find the rest of his family, which to me, uh, I, I wouldn't assume that the final plane of existence, whatever you're going to, would entail some kind of journey to find things. It'd be either, like, if you go to heaven, your, journeys, your dreams would be granted to you. you go to hell, you'd be denied them eternally, so it wouldn't matter. See,
0: I could see that, except he said he felt his family was right on the other side.
1: Right on the other side?
0: Yeah, or like right on the other side of the highway from where they were at by the campfire. Hmm. So I, I think they're probably, you know, he has to climb. Hugo doesn't know what's on the other side of the highway. He can't see it. Correct. And so he doesn't know if there's another fence. He even tells Matthew, if there is another one, I can't help you climb it. You have to do that yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so there may be another fence. So there may be, I think you're right. There may be, there are other obstacles over there, mm-hmm. but he, we don't know as the reader. I I didn't think so, Um, but I think it's a perfectly valid interpretation in your case to think so. Slightly different
1: ones, but we still center in on on the same theme. Mm -hmm. It's weird, because it calls up the same ideas, even though I don't believe uh, death is mentioned explicitly other than in the car crash. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know, it's not drawn out. This this specifically represents death. I also thought that the wall could represent, if you want to read it in a more literal sense, some kind of um, uh, immigration between nations.
0: Uh Uh Uh-huh.
1: So, uh, he might feel that his his family, although they're supposed to be dead, might be in this other country. Mm-hmm. That might be too literal a reading, though.
0: Well, here's here's the other thing I thought was interesting: is okay if this is a metaphor, or if this is a parallel to the river Styx and trying to cross it. What are the cars?
1: What are the cars? Because
0: that's that's what I started turning over in my mind. Like so, the, and in has to get across without being hit by these cars. What are the cars? Who's driving them, hmm. and where are they going? Huh. And that's it's, what it's I started. That's then. what I started being like. Oh my god! Like, what? What is that all about? You know, who's in these cars? Where are they driving? Who to? drives the cars in Frogger? Yeah, about <laughs> <that> too. <laughs> Who drives the cars in Frogger? So, no, that's something. And, and so, I, I sort of feel like this is one of those stories that I think you know, works well on someone, but I think it could also be um You know, a, a part in a novel, you know, or an introduction, kind of. Yeah, I see you know, you or mean. the first chapter of a novel, you know, and maybe we'd follow Hugo along, you know, as he found other kids to help or whatever, and and yeah. see, you know, and maybe we'd find out then and some of who's some driving of those... the cars and what they represent. No, or it could just be a story, a short story, and. This could all be exactly the rare stinks, but translated into a framework that you know somebody who died in the modern era, like Matthew, would understand.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So it could all just be kind of a project of uh, uh, or projection of Matthew's mind when he died. You know, and translate it. this is his understanding mm-hmm. of the world,
1: just the way his dream head interprets
0: the yeah. action of whatever the, off the thing neural. is. Yeah, yeah. Crazy, so I really liked it. I like both of them. Yeah, I, I thought it was. Too. I thought it was good. This it's a good week.
1: selection, Skip. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And a wonderful reading on it. Well,
0: thank you. Um, so I think we're about done for today. Uh, we've gotten through a good so We probably spent more time talking about it than reading the actual story, but that was kind That's of cool. fun too. Uh, so next time we have a selection from the upcoming volume of Roar, and it is it was chosen by. Uh, Buck, who is the editor of Roar, and it's read by him as well. So that'll be up on the website shortly. Um, and the podcast will be up next week, and we'll be discussing it in two weeks. If you have a story you would be interested in submitting for the podcast, uh, please drop us a line at baddogbooks.com slash bookclub.
1: Yeah, and send me an email. I'm since it's at drivingcat.org. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, both our emails,
0: both of our emails are up there. And you can you know, check I us out on FA people. and AIM and all these other... Yeah, we're friendly, too. Yeah. I had somebody say, Oh, you know, I didn't want to drop you a line on AIM. It's right on my FA page. It's yeah. Skip Rudder. If you want to drop me a line on AIM, go crazy. I'm always happy to talk to people.
1: I'm not really a jerk. I just play one on the radio.
0: Right, exactly. Exactly. Um... So yeah, and if you're interested in reading, drop us a line too. We always like having guest readers. So that's about does it. I've been Skip Ruddertail.
1: I'm says, Please stop for pedestrians, everybody.
0: Yes, stop for especially him. (laughs) And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Ciao.